0: Uh, Greetings, everyone. Um, Welcome to London, where I am based, and welcome to this uh, seminar looking at wealth inequality across the globe. My name is Mike Savage. I'm Professor of Sociology at the London School of Economics. I'm also convening a theme in the International Inequalities Institute around wealth, elites, and tax justice, Uh, and I'm really proud to host this seminar. So the theme today is to understand how we respond to the challenge of intense inequality in many parts of the world. Um, And we have, uh, I think, three main hooks for our discussion. The first of these is that much of the research on inequality globally and within nations is led by economists. Uh, Today we have a group of sociologists who want to respond to the challenge which the economists have laid down and shown how sociologists can lend insight and um, new research findings to understanding inequality, and also to renew um, the sociology of class stratification. Uh, The sociology of class stratification has a long history. It's focused very much upon occupational and employment divisions, and it hasn't renewed itself by thinking sufficiently about in income and wealth inequalities. So the second theme of our seminar is to understand how wealth, um, assets, tradable assets, forms of wealth are key drivers of stratification in different parts of the world. This is an idea which the economists, again like Thomas Piketty, have put on the agenda very powerfully. But this is an agenda which sociologists such as ourselves can speak to very powerfully and the research you'll be hearing about today explores how we can logically take account of wealth and income inequality as part of our thinking about stratification and class. And thirdly, and in some ways most importantly of all, the papers today are from outside the global north. They're not from Europe or um, North America, with the exception of the first paper, which will frame some of the debates around wealth inequality. So we're really thrilled to get papers from uh, China, from South Korea, from Brazil, and from Russia. So we can try and understand these dynamics of wealth inequality, class stratification in a more global perspective. Um, so the format for today's uh, session will be that um the first speaker, Louis Chavel, will speak for about fifteen minutes and he'll frame some of the broad sociological ideas around wealth inequality. And then I will pass on to the four other panellists to each introduce their remarks for a shorter period of time seven minutes, where they will only be able to give a sadly, a brief um pre-see of their arguments. I should say that the papers today have all arisen from a conference which was held last September or October in China, in Kunming, organised by the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. It seems a long time ago, you know, it seems like a different world when we actually used to get on planes and and visit other countries. But we should only 18 months ago. Uh, And the papers are all published online and open access in the Journal of Chinese Social the Journal of Chinese Sociology. So if these papers whet your appetite, please look at the online issue and you'll find much more details. So that's the format. Um, I'll introduce the speakers before they speak and uh, let me pass the floor first, or let me pass the Zoom screen, I should say, to Louis Chauvel, who as many of us will know is Professor of Sociology at University of Luxembourg. He's a leading um, authority who has emphasize the significance of wealth in renewing the sociology of class and stratification, and he's going to make some opening framing remarks. So Louis, over to you.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I hope the audio is okay and you see my screen. Uh, Everything is fine in this respect. Uh, That's it, it's, uh, it's okay? You uh, Okay, so uh, simply in uh, 15 minutes, it's very difficult to introduce uh, so many papers in, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Professor Litu Ling and Mike Savage, uh, uh, to have led uh, this uh, important project of comparative uh, uh, inequality, dynamics, uh, wealth and the middle class uh, uh, project, uh, what I present here is, is simply uh, a part of a more general um, presentation. Uh, you can read it uh, online very, um, very easily. So the important point of this uh, presentation is that for first uh, the role of wealth as a new uh, crucial um, variable. It's not so new if we have two centuries perspective, but it's new if we have only half a century perspective from the 1970s, uh, if you want. The important aspect of this uh, presentation is at first uh, the fact that wealth is having an increasing role compared uh, to uh, income. And we have to, to consider the architecture of society, um, that income and wealth uh, builds. And this, so this architecture is not a pyramid. It's a strobiloid. I come to, to, to that very soon. And this strobiloid uh, permits the construction of interest of interesting indicators of our difficulties such as the wealth-to-income ratio that is bringing, and even worse, the top wealth-to-income ratio, TYIR, if you want, uh, to show that extreme inequalities are back after their extinction in the middle of the 20th century. So we'll have to see the consequences in particular for the middle class, but of course for the working class it's even worse. We'll have to see the consequences of those extreme inequalities in terms of what we can expect in the future of uh, our Western and non-Western societies. And that, uh, simply to begin with, very concrete uh, elements. Uh, yeah, in the LSC today, uh, we are in a place where a square meter is sixteen thousand uh, euros. Uh, It was a case uh, one year ago, at least at the last uh, measurement. It's only 50% more than in Paris, uh, Luxembourg, Zurich. uh, uh, Yeah, the main message was here is that a standard 100 square meter apartment in London is 1 million uh, and a half uh, euros uh, or dollars. And what we see with those very basic data regarding housing realities such, you have an increasing gap between wealth and the realities of work income. If you consider the number of years of work income, you need to buy a standard 100 square meter apartment in an OK neighborhood of different cities. you see that uh, lucky people in uh, Paris need 77 years of work to uh, afford this kind of apartment, Uh, in London it's 136 years, and in Mumbai it's 300 uh, years. I just precise that uh, those data are not super fresh, Uh, from uh, 10 years ago to today, Uh, square meters in most of those cities uh, doubled. To understand the increasing imbalance between wealth and income, it's important to have in mind the structure of society, the kind of uh, social pyramid that is generated on one side, on the left, by income and on the right side by uh, wealth. Here it's at first Western societies, first France, and in the paper you will have a, 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 a comparison between comparison between ten countries. So on the side of income, what you have is not a pyramid but a strobiloid from strobilos, a spinning tap, if you want. This spinning tap of income in France with a big belly means that you have a large median class, more than middle class, a large median class of people close to the median income, and the mean income is not that far from that. On the side of income, France is still today a kind of middle class society. But when you go in the direction on the side of wealth, what you see is that compared to income, there is no median class of wealth, in the French society, with a Gini index of, of, of 66% that is relatively low compared to, 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 to the US, what you see is uh, you have no median class, you have simply a mass of people with virtually no wealth or sometimes uh, net uh, debt, negative uh, wealthy, if you want, negative net wealth, and at the top you have an accumulation of people uh, close to 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 close to to the sky. In France, if you consider this graph on your screen, the richest French person is at something like uh, ten thousand meters high in wealth, uh, and when you compare so. Uh, Income, relative inequality or relative equality, wealth is extreme in this respect. And as soon as you compare France, a relatively equalitarian in income and wealth country, to the extreme tension between the top and the bottom that you have in the US, you see uh, coming a new world of inequalities. It's not only the stretch of wealth, it also the fact that uh, in the current uh, In the last 30 years, there had been, in many Western countries, there had been a boom of the wealth-to-income ratio. WIR, the wealth-to-income ratio, had been invented by uh, Stiglitz as an indicator of the weight of wealth in the current uh, GDP. This means that in the 1990s, in the average of those uh, countries, uh, wealth represented something like, three years something of accumulated GDP of the nation. Today, or in 2015, it's no longer three years, it's six years of GDP you need to build the wealth. It's clear that this indicator shows that wealth is of increasing importance, twice more important today than 30 years ago. It's also the fact that extreme top wealth represents something crazy today in many countries. I mean that if you compute not the wealth-to-income ratio, but the top wealth-to-income ratio to average income ratio, that is the ratio between the average wealth of the top 1% of the population to the average income in the nation, what you obtain is that in France today, you need 23 you, you need 123 years of accumulated average income to make on average top 1% wealth. This ratio is 123 today. It was only 50, 30, uh, 30 years ago. This means that uh, top wealth represents now a booming number of years of incomes. It's bad news for those who want to save money because uh, you need much more uh, to 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 gain a position at the top of society. But conversely, for those who are already home owners, the situation is extremely uh, favorable and uh, positive for the rich. I mean that in the U.S. now, the average top wealth, uh, uh, the average top wealth represents 200 years of average income uh, in the U.S. It was 100 or uh, two times less uh, in the past, yeah, 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 30, 40 years ago. And the very interesting thing is a long-term historical transformation that is, uh, yeah, the message is wealth is back. It looks like uh, Thomas Piketty implemented uh, to the top wealth-to-income ratio. The U.S. today is like the U.S. at the, um, the U.S. before. The First World War. France is not as extreme now as it had been, but if you look to the trend of the last 40 years, the dream of low wealth accumulation of the 1960s is very far away uh, today. The so important thing is to think about the uh, long-term consequences for the middle class in uh, in Western uh, social democracies, like in Europe uh, and elsewhere. Simply because this increasing massive gap between the haves and the have-nots is providing a massive imbalance. Uh, I have no time to enter on the seven uh, pillars of middle-class societies. The question is not simply a problem for middle-class members, it's also a problem for middle-class societies that we have developed after the Second World War. I mean that uh, at the end of the late 1970s, uh, in Europe and elsewhere, uh, Japan and uh, many other uh, countries, we have created a wage earner middle class society based on uh, welfare state, on social, upward social mobility, on uh, increasing returns to uh, education, on upgrading of an important part of the working class and the creation of a society Based on beliefs in progress and the capacity of the middle class to have a role, a central role in uh, politics. What we argue in the paper is that those seven elements are uh, facing a new dynamics. It's a kind of uh, concatenation of very well, many well-known authors from Piketty to Mike Savage uh, in uh, many uh, respects. Uh, wage uh, stability uh, is replaced by precariat, um, wage stagnation is now the new uh, general uh, situation uh, after uh, wage expansion. I have no time to enter on the seven elements that show that we are facing a new um, uh, squeeze of the middle class. Uh, for the mag- middle class members, it's very difficult. But of course, for the working class, it's even worse. Uh, time is short. I still have only uh, three minutes. Anyway, uh, we have to think about the consequences of this repatrimonialisation in French, rewealthisation, the comeback of accumulated wealth in the everyday life uh, realities. An apartment in London, Paris, uh, uh, Luxembourg or elsewhere is only uh, one facet of this re problem for the middle class of wage uh, earners. We face uh, increasing segregation based on income and the consequences in terms of social distortions in the educational uh, institutions or uh, health uh, situations or simply paralleling the housing market uh, situations. So in terms of consequences in uh, two minutes, the main result is that uh, in objective terms, I don't speak of the subjective terms, but in objective terms, it's clear that uh, class are back uh, soon. In this context of divide between the top and the bottom of society and the stretch at the middle because there is no middle class in wealth uh, consideration. And we have to think to the different consequences in terms of class and also in terms of class structure. I have in mind Max Weber's uh, concept of, of patrimonialismus and the neo-patrimonialismus that could be the consequences. Second point, uh, yeah, uh, we have an important uh, author, uh, Walter Scheidel, who underlined uh, the degree to which inequalities in, uh, in the past of human societies, inequalities are a kind of uh, automatically accumulative threat, for the stability of uh, civilizations. And the point of Walter Scheider is, he, is the coming back of inequalities uh, could be, uh, in terms of violence, uh, a, a risk, a collective risk of us. Due to a lack of time, I will not insist on uh, the killing fields of inequalities, his book six years ago. Uh, what we see is an increasing source of tensions in terms of uh, social mobility, based, problems of social mobility, based on uh, increasing wealth uh, tensions. The so different bidding wars in the housing market uh, and elsewhere, in terms of health and other elements of development, are very clear. And what we can expect is increasing violence in this respect. Uh, So it's important to underline that uh, what we need also uh, is a a need for multi-thematic analysis of international uh, comparisons of the different consequences of those uh, trends. And this uh, issue of the Journal of Chinese Sociology was an opportunity, is an opportunity to discuss uh, with Brazil, South Korea, Russia, uh, China, certainly India at some point, uh, and uh, other Western countries uh, anywhere. Of those topics, I have no time to, 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 to insist on that. An important aspect also of the Journal of Chinese Sociology is to think of the social science toolbox, Coming from China, regarding uh, balanced and unbalanced uh, societies, so, uh, the notion of a modest wealth society, Xiao Kang Shui, is amongst other an important uh, way of uh, reflection uh, to, to increase harmonious uh, relations in uh, society. So, thank you very much, Niman. Uh, uh have a good um, and uh, let's have uh, an excellent debate sorry i i had been a bit too long thanks a lot
0: um thank you louis for setting out you know such a such a clear vision and i think you know it's worth underscoring the implications of of your argument that for for, for centuries we've had the view that we we've got to lift aggregate mean wealth mean income. But the challenge of wealth inequality is to look at this missing middle, how the, the middle is being stripped out and how our conceptions of the middle class appear to be, you know, made much more problematic given recent economic trends. Of course, your account is based on European developed work. And that's why it's important for have these voices from other parts of the world where there's been such huge economic growth in recent decades. And so all the other panelists have been asked to kind of reflect upon the, these framing remarks. Um, and so we begin with uh, Professor Li Chunling from uh, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences in Beijing, um, and she will be speaking for a few minutes about her research on China. Uh, Professor Chunling, over to you. Oh.
2: Uh... So
3: OK, uh, thanks, Michael. And uh, I'm very glad to attend this uh, seminar. Uh, Louis uh, just talked um, uh, about uh, wealth uh, back in uh, Western countries now Um, I'm discussing a similar uh, phenomenon happened in China, uh, housing-based wealthization in China from a society with high equality and uh, scarce wealth to a society with high inequality and wealthization. Over the past three decades, China share a similar wealthization process with uh, Western countries, Uh, but the Chinese wealthization is a a little different story from Western countries. In uh, Western countries, uh, the process is uh, characterized by uh, re-wealthization and uh, inherited wealthy promise, uh just like Louis uh, said. Uh, but in China, uh, 30 years ago, almost no private valuable property. Uh, there were very, very few families having property uh, worth uh, 1,000 US uh, dollars. Certainly uh, they uh, 30 years later, however, China uh, now has six, uh, 86,000 families have wealth of more than uh, 30 million US dollars. So Chinese uh, wealthization is a process of new wealth accumulation and aggregation driving by market marketization and uh, privatization, which are different dynamics of wealthization from that of uh, Western countries. Uh, Such a process is most prominent in housing wealth uh, because housing property is the most important wealth of Chinese families, uh, which on average accounts for uh, of total family uh, wealth. Uh, This graph shows the process of China uh, from a society with uh, few private property to a society with growing private uh, uh, property. Uh, In 1988, only 14% of Chinese families had uh, housing ownership, and most of Chinese families lived in public house. Uh, But after 2008, uh, more than 90% of Chinese families have housing property. Now, average uh, family housing wealth increased by uh, 56 times, uh, from about uh, 2,000 yuan in 1995 uh, to 96,000 yuan in 2009. Now, wealthization has brought about a shift in the major source of economic inequality from income inequality into the housing wealth inequality. In 1980, 80s and the 90s, income inequality was a major source of economic inequality and income Gini coefficient increased fast. However, since 2000, with the growth of housing wealth, Housing wealth inequality has become the major source of economic inequality. And it's Gini coefficient is much higher than income Gini coefficient. We'll see, uh, we'll see nation has created a wealthy class having lots of housing property. The members of this group are from uh, different occupational groups or traditional occupation-based classes, about uh, 5% from the elites and uh, uh, about uh, 65% from middle class and uh, 30% from the working class and uh, uh, peasants. Now, leads to a differentiation inside each class uh, for example, middle class has been divided into wealthy middle class and uh, regular middle class. Working class also into you know, wealthy working class and uh, regular uh, working class. So China has experienced a different process of wealthization from uh, Western countries, but got uh, similar social s- uh, consequences as Western uh, countries did. Uh, that is an uh, emerging class system under the age of westernization. I prefer to the class scheme proposed by some European scholars, such as Professor uh, Savage, and uh, developed a Chinese version of emerging class system under the age of uh, westernization, in which Uh elite is an upper middle class. Uh Western middle class is upper middle class. Uh regular middle class and the Western working class and peasants is a low middle class. Uh regular working class and the peasants are low class. The bottom are the uh precarious. Uh
2: so thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Professor Trudling. that was wonderfully clear and um, laying out very, very much the, the stark nature of social change in China and how it impacts upon wealth inequality. Um, so now we're going to move on to uh, the case of Brazil, another, another rapidly growing expanding economy and we're going to hear from Andre Kitano who's Professor of Sociology and Demography at the Catholic University of Minas Joas. Um and his research focuses on work and labour market Race and ethnic inequalities and stratification and methodology. Andre, is
4: that is okay. That it's on the screen. Yeah, um, it's uh, very nice to, to be here and to have the opportunity to present this uh, work. I'm second author and Professor Sally Scalone is here. I'm sure she will be glad to take the helm uh, during the Q&A session. I just have just a few minutes for a couple of slides. So it's going to be a... Uh, Overview of the, the the work. So, well, the point of departure of this paper was um, a debate that uh, sparked by Neri in two thousand eight, when increased in increasing average household income placed half of the population between the median and the upper ten percent threshold and we call it the emerging new middle class and indeed purchase power and consumption increased, living conditions improved, perhaps less an equal distribution and towards a knowledge-shaped income distribution. And our questions are whether uh, there were substantial difference between the incomes traded in the fifth, the first 15 years of the, the 21st century and what social demographic factors were most, most influential in holding our leasing Brazilian income structure. We analyze uh, data from the National Household Sample, Sample Service 2001, uh, and fifteen. the population in the age span 24-65 use the least methodology of income groups. So we have six groups and this is the, our response variable in antinomiologist um, regression. And this three years, were not children randomly. He has, you can see on the two images in the left and the right here, the income groups distribution uh, in 2001, 8 and 15. And we should keep in mind that the top uh, five, 10% tend to be underrepresented. And there are limited, actually meager information on assets uh, and wealth. But what stands out is the p- permanent stability in the distribution of income groups in the three years and here, about the covariates that we, we employed just to have an idea of the importance of them, the difference between male and female population 35 and older that finished secondary school in 2018 between uh, self-declared white and black uh, People and between the Northeast and and the Southeast region, the the least developed and most developed one, 70% of the population. And this is the billion years of schooling by income group. There were gains during the period, but uh, strengthening the the advantages of the most privileged group rather than reducing the educational gap. the main findings uh, that we we got was actually just in a nutshell: it's a, a loss uh, between 2008 and 15. In the games occurred in between 2001 and 8, mostly especially for women, blacks, and rural population. So it's a, it's a sort of cumbersome to interpret the. Uh, odds ratios having a multinomial response variable with six categories. So we fixed the, we estimated the probabilities of an urban northeastern black female 25 years old and an urban southeast white male 25 years old. And what varies the number of schooling years uh, for each group in each year. So what we see here is that for the the for the, the northeastern black female. The, they are m- more likely to be in the two uh, uh, most poorest groups and very unlikely to be, to be in a very rich group. It's about the same what the urban southeast white male, 25 years old, but it compared to to the to the black female in the Northeast, the, the situation is really, let's say better. Um, and to finish my um, well, fa- final remarks, the modest ad- modest advances achieved between 2001 and one and eight were overturned in the following seven years. Brazil was not heading neither was heading neither towards a less than equal income, Oliver-shaped distribution, nor towards a middle class society. Living standards depend heavily on economic growth, rising in income without distributive policies are insufficient to change the stiff Brazilian socioeconomic economic certification. And that's
0: thank you very much. Thank you, Andre. Um, so another kind of pessimistic interpretation of social change and the significance of wealth and incoming inequality in the Brazilian context. We're now, through the miracle of Zoom, we're now going to Zoom over to Asia again, to South, South Korea, um, and uh, we're going to hear from Quang Shin who is Professor of Sociology at Chung an University in Seoul. Um, he's an expert on uh, the transformation of the labor market and on social inequality, historical social democracy and the neoliberal turn and the rise of the precariat in East Asia. So, Quan Yong, on to you, thank you. Uh, thanks, Mike.
2: Good it's my Go honor and pleasure uh, to share my research outcome uh, today. And today, I would like to talk about the uh, uh, new approach to uh, social inequality and uh, because uh, uh, I think uh, uh, there are some uh, problems in the conventional uh, social stratification research, I would like to raise uh, some uh, issues, important issues. Uh, Here, and next one, yes, uh, I summarized um, major issues, four issues, and I'd like to uh, pursue uh, my own um, uh, research agenda. And probably uh, you may recognize that current survey data uh, does not have uh, enough information for uh, doing research on inequality, and uh, simply because uh, uh, they, uh, does, they do not represent the rich, super rich, and of course, the extremely poor. And also more important thing is that uh, uh, survey data-based inequality research um, does not capture the social uh, inequality uh, because uh, uh, they focus on uh, working individuals, uh, individuals' wage and income. So uh, non-working population uh, is not included in their uh, research. And uh, in addition, uh, wealth is completely out of sight. And wealth inequality is much uh, greater than Income inequality, as you know, uh, income inequality is much greater than wage inequality. So different uh, dimension of inequality should be uh, considered in our understanding of social inequality. The major uh, uh, problem uh, for that uh, is the uh, lack of appropriate uh, data for wealth, income. So uh, we need uh, uh, new uh, types of uh, data. So I strongly uh, argue that uh, we need uh, administrative data uh, that uh, covers uh, entire population. So I, next one. I simply uh, compare uh, the conventional approaches to inequality uh, with a new approach to inequality, a unit of analysis, and focus on uh occupation or not, and the data uh, survey data versus uh, administrative data, and uh, a measure a measure of uh, income uh, and wealth, and uh, uh, some uh, focal uh, points. Of our research, the uh, mean difference of income between men and women, between classes, uh, between uh, uh, different uh, races. A new approach emphasized the uh, whole uh, distribution of income wealth. So it is uh, uh, quite different from the uh, conventional approaches to inequality. Uh, next one. Uh, this is uh, uh, some um, a visual uh, representation of difference uh, between a conventional approach to inequality, uh, left hand side, uh, only the sociologists uh, focus on uh in a uh, red, you know red, in a red circle, some economically active population. And the unit of analysis is individual. So I would like to emphasize uh, the uh, right-hand side, a, a new approach is a uh, comprehensive, including a non-working elderly household. And uh, uh, there are uh, different types of households, single household, dual owner household, and male breadwinner household. And the very different types of household uh, also generate a different level of uh, income and wealth and finally uh, inequality. Next one. Uh, this is uh, uh, another uh, graphic uh, uh, presentation uh, of my idea. Uh, in sociology, especially in stratification, uh, old uh, approach focused on individuals, earnings, class, occupation, education, gender, something like that. And we uh, completely uh, missed the uh, house income or wealth. And sometimes uh, we focus on family background uh, in order to explain uh, social mobility, class mobility, but uh, we do not pay attention to inheritance of wealth. So uh, in uh, sociology is social specification research and analyzed almost half of uh, social inequality. So we missed uh, another half. So that's my argument. And Next one. And this is empirical uh, uh, results uh, based on uh, my own idea. And comparing uh, income inequality and uh, wealth inequality, uh, as you see, uh, the Gini coefficient is quite different. Uh, wealth, uh, Gini coefficient uh, here, a 0.5722 is much larger than, uh, income, uh, Gini coefficient. Next one. Uh, this is, uh, uh, a graphic, uh, representation of joint distribution of income and wealth, uh, in 2017 in South Korea. So, uh, left hand uh, side, uh, you can see low income, Low wealth poor, and right hand side, and high income high wealth poor. So it's a highly polarized uh, distribution of income and wealth in South Korea. So uh, now, uh, bipolarization or polarization of uh, income and wealth. So uh, it is a, a new trend uh, in South Korea, showing. Increasing uh, polarization. So it uh, shows the uh, uh, vivid uh, picture of uh, bipolarization of income and wealth distribution. Next one. Uh, This is the result. uh, Regression-based inequality decomposition. It's a more uh, sophisticated uh, analysis of income and wealth inequality I try to find out some factors contributing to the income inequality and wealth inequality uh, you can see so uh, you uh, usual uh uh variables or factors uh, emphasized by uh, sociologists uh here uh, occupation and uh, wealth other uh, factors, education and gender, uh, is quite contrary to our uh, expectation. So conventional uh, factors uh, does not explain um, inequality of income and wealth much. In particular uh, in particular, uh, wealth inequality is quite interesting. So conventional uh, variables are not so uh, uh, good in explaining. Uh, wealth inequality. Rather, uh income and loan uh is uh, are a very important factor to explain wealth inequality. I'd like to focus on uh loan the uh, effect of loan on wealth inequality because uh a loan uh, is a a special uh thing in the uh financialized uh capitalism it is it reflects the uh, credit inequality. Next one. So here uh, you can see the rich tends to have larger debt. The poor cannot get loan uh, due to the poor credit. So uh, we are living in a uh, credit society. So uh, there is a, a credit inequality. So loan represents the uh, some um, good uh, credit. So... Uh, Good, uh, higher uh, credits uh generate a higher loan and loan is not simply a debt uh, it uh, represents a kind of a capability in a financialized society so uh, a loan uh, should be important resources uh, generating a wealth inequality next one so uh, I'd like to conclude uh, my talk. And uh, wealth inequality is much larger than income inequality. So we should pay attention to uh, wealth inequality. And and there is uh, some uh, a relationship between income and wealth. So I call it a positive uh, feedback loop exists between them. And also uh, we can uh, identify a different dynamics of income inequality and wealth inequality in South Korea. It might be applicable to other society. Uh, Traditional sociological variables are weak explaining income inequality and wealth inequality. So we should pay attention to uh, other factors that might be very specific to uh, each society. So uh finally, uh, I call it holistic approach uh, is needed, uh, not only in sociology, and also uh, in uh, economics. So we need uh, some kind of holistic approach to fully understand the rising inequality, income inequality, and uh, wealth inequality. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, I mean, fascinating remarks, and I think the- the theme about the hollowing out of the middle, how the middle classes is being stripped away and the polarisation, but also also the point about how um, you're you're finding debt. High levels of debt overlap with high levels of wealth, so debt can be used as a lever to generate wealth resources. Finally, um, I'd like to introduce Svetlana Mariva. Uh, She is head of the Centre for Stratification Studies at the National Research University High School of Economics in Moscow, and she's an expert on social stratification, social inequality and subjective perceptions of inequality. Thank you that, Anna. Thank you.
5: Screen.
6: Um, I would like to add a few words on the problem of inequality from yet another part of the world, from Russia, and I think that Russia is quite an interesting case because uh, it shows examples example of discrepancies in different measures of inequalities, inequality in mass population, inequality between uh, the top of the society and the rest, and finally in perceptions of inequality in public opinion. Uh, so if we talk about inequality in mass strat of population, uh, Russia is characterized by the medium level level of income inequality on the global scale, but compared to most European countries, its income inequality level seems to be rather high. Uh, However, that picture changes if equivalent skills are applied. The positioning of Russia improves, placing it in line with most European countries uh, in terms of inequality in mass population. Uh, We can separately look at the situation at the lower end of distribution of incomes, uh, which is characterized by the share of poverty. And the situation with poverty has noticeably changed in Russia during the last 20 years. Russian society has transformed from mass poverty society to a mass middle income society. Uh, The type of poverty which is connected with uh, the problem of physical survival is currently completely non-existent in Russia. And that, again, places Russia in line with European countries and differentiates it from uh, other BRICS members where this type of poverty still presents quite an important challenge. Uh, to show another face of inequality, of income inequality, we can use a relative approach that is similar that, uh, to that that was shown in the presentation on Brazil, uh, defining different income groups based on the ratio between individuals' income and the median income in the country. And if we use this relative approach, which is presented here on the graph, we can see that uh, during the last 20 years, the median uh, group, the middle of the society, has shown a notable expansion in Russia. Uh, we can also see the contraction of the high-income and low-income groups. But again, we are talking about mass society here, about those who we can see in our social service. Uh, so currently, uh, the median income group dominates in the income structure of Russian society. Uh, so we can actually call Russia a middle class society if we use uh, middle class in its economic definition based only on income. Uh, this model of income stratification uh, that we see for Russia is also much closer to those of European countries. It is marked by a broad middle stratum and uh, this uh, model is opposed to the models that are typical for other BRIC members or Latin American countries that have heavy bottom and heavy top among the mass population as well. Uh, However, if we look, uh, I've been talking about mass, about general population, about inequality in general population. Uh, If we look at the uh, income and wealth concentration, so if we look at the top of the Russian society, the picture that we see with inequalities is completely different. Uh, If we measure inequality through income and especially wealth concentration, uh, it shows that on a global scale, Russia Russia is currently one of the leading countries in terms of this inequality dimension. So according to different sources, we are uh, just the leader or uh, in one of the five or three leading positions in the world. And uh, this extreme concentration of income and especially wealth in Russia is usually attributed to the specific uh, chosen transition path That was taken to a market economy, and that led to consolidation of ownership in hands of selected few. And this situation has not been changing during the last 20 years, and on the contrary, it has been getting worse because uh, the concentration of the wealth and income uh, in the top of the in the hands of the top uh, one percent and even less is growing. And uh, the most drastic differences between the top and the rest are not at the level of top ten percent or top. 5% of population, but at the level of 1% or even less. And this gap has been growing. Uh, And this... um Differences difference between inequality in mass population and inequality between the top and the rest of the population partly explains the specific reflection of the objective picture of inequalities in the subjective perceptions that have formed in the public consciousness of Russian population. Uh, as you can see on this graph, Russians continue to be very sensitive to inequalities. Inequality perceptions uh, in public opinion has not changed, have not changed much since the late 90s despite the qualitative changes in socioeconomic economic reality that has taken place during this time. So we have seen income growth, we have seen a radical decline of poverty, but the perceptions of inequality are very similar to what we have seen in '99. Uh, differences in income are seen as too large, as unfair, And there is a growing request towards the government to reduce them. And also in public opinion, uh, the state currently fails to address the challenge of inequality. And it is important to notice that uh, these perceptions are held by all population groups. Um, So they are not differentiated in terms of different income or different education. So this is a universal view of the Russian population as a whole. Uh, So we have seen that there has been uh, the growing equalization of um, Incomes has been ke- happening about among broad segments of the population. And this growing capitalization, this averaging out of incomes in the middle and the shrinking high income segment within the mass population, with the simultaneously growing gap between the very top and the rest, do not meet the request of population, especially most educated and qualified Russians, because that implies that uh, their chances for upward mobility are decreasing. Okay. And finally, uh, the importance of this growing gap between the very top of the society and the rest of the population is reflected in the public opinion of social conflicts. The conflict between rich and others uh, is currently seen as most sharp um, by Russians. And even those who are quite well off by mass standards, who have quite high incomes by by mass standards, still consider themselves to be others as opposed to the top. And uh, other lines of class conflicts, typical class conflicts, are not seen as sharp, so the conflict between working class and middle class, the conflict between employees and employers, they're not seen as sharp conflicts on the background of this very sharp conflict between the rich and the rest. And that also highlights the importance of bringing back income and wealth into class analysis that we have been talking about here. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Svetlana, um, and thank you, all the panelists, uh, for your uh, contributions. So, I think you've, you've all posed the challenge of inequality uh, in different sorts of ways, and, and particularly the role of wealth uh, and how wealth, uh, taking wealth into account gives us a bleaker picture of, of inequality than you would get if you focused on income. So, can I just invite all of you to use the QA function if you've got questions to ask? If I can ask all the Contributors, perhaps, to come on screen so we can see you. Um, and, um, see which questions, see what questions we have. We have about half an hour left, um, for questions. Um, so we have a question to Professor Chun Ling, um, from, uh, Rosa Vone, an independent researcher, just to understand more about the links between wealthization in China and uh, the link between political dynamics, uh, particularly uh, how significant uh, membership of the Communist Party might be in wealth acquisition and elite, um, you know, entering the elite in, in the Chinese case. Uh,
3: yes. The, um, I, for uh, and the question is about an effect of uh, working class background and the Communist Party membership on um, uh, gaining a late position. Uh, yes, before the economic reform, uh, working class background and the party membership uh, had a strong positive effect. Uh, but now, uh, the party membership has uh, still been uh, very useful for gaining political elite position, but not uh, economical elite position. Uh, but the uh, no, working class uh, don't work. Working class background that don't work. Yeah, the... Thank
0: you. Yes. Sir. Okay. Thank you. So we have uh, some questions about um, wealth data and uh, both globally and between countries. Um, and so firstly, a question from Vincent Tam to Professor Shin, but also to all of you, I think. Um, Professor Shin, you made a very good point about the lack of wealth data globally. Uh, without this, a sensible policy on redistribution can't be made. Um, can you say more about why countries are not collecting wealth data? This probably applies to all all the panellists. Um, and whether, whether in the case of specific countries you're, you're familiar with, whether wealth data has stopped being collected. And then a the links question from Sally Empson is, uh, do any of your countries have wealth taxes? And if they do have wealth taxes, um, how effective are they in uh, addressing wealth inequality issues? So, uh, Quang Yong, do you want to start off about, um, yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, above all, uh, every uh, government uh, collected uh a wealth data for uh taxation but uh usually uh sociologists uh couldn't uh utilize uh, those uh data because uh it is uh controlled and uh uh regulated by the government so uh sociologists uh do did uh a survey and uh used to, to survey data to discuss inequality. So now uh, some administrative data collected by the government agency uh, can be released uh, and sociologists and social scientists began to uh, analyze those administrative data. So it is a new trend in research on inequality, so um, in Britain, and in Sweden, in Germany, in the United States, so many uh, good uh, administ- administrative data are, uh used by uh, sociologists and economists. So it is a new trend, and there are very uh, good and uh, very uh, important information collected by the government uh, we can uh, utilize. Uh, Thomas Piketty also uh, uh, utilized the uh, tax data in order to uh, explain the rising uh, wealth inequality. So why not a sociologist? So we can uh, utilize uh, those data. It's called administrative data. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a, a good for us to uh, develop new ideas and new research.
0: Thank you. Yes, that's no, really important work. A really important argument about the way we need to move beyond standard survey sources and think about other kinds of data. Do any of the other panelists want to reflect upon wealth data, but also you know wealth taxes? Do wealth taxes have any role to play in particular countries? I mean, Louis, Louis, do you want? Yeah, Louis, do you want to Hi. contribute. I just try to, to find a solution. Do you hear me with, um, I have
1: two connections. One works with the microphone and uh, the one with the video. It's, it's strange. It's, it's, um, it's, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Currently I live and work in Luxembourg, but I'm primarily French. Uh, you detect this with my accent, uh, mm. of course, and of, uh, of uh, Paris where uh, wealth issues are, we have in France uh, wealth taxes, but the, current system of wealth wealth taxes, it's at first uh, wealth on conservative wealth. Conservative wealth, I mean, is at first uh, real estate uh, accumulation of um, non-productive things. Uh, In France, uh, land, uh, any kind of uh, professional wealth whatsoever is outside any kind of uh, tax. So uh, we cannot hope uh, from uh, the tax system um, relevant uh, information on wealth because after uh, a given level of wealth, an important share of your wealth is uh, professional wealth. I mean that if you're a poor rich you have uh, several flats in Paris and you become uh, real rich uh, rich uh, when you have um, this, those flats or buildings inside a common uh, real estate fund that uh, provides you um, a lot of money. But a very important information on wealth currently is that whatever the Western country, the game is not to have capital gains that transits through taxes, but to have um, auto-generative long-term capital gains that are much less taxable. I mean that uh, in France, if you have uh, several uh, uh, dozens of millions of, of euros, it makes no sense uh, to uh, have this Investments provide you, uh, providing you um, yearly uh, capital gains, capital incomes. The best thing is to have them in a business, and so the so long-term capital, so the capital gain generated by your business is automatically reinvested to buy new flats, new apartments, new buildings, for instance and you generate almost no income, you only generate uh, long term capital gains and after 25 years any kind of investment is free from any kind of taxation. Long term um, gains in capital when you sell your assets after 25 years, is free from any kind of tax uh, for wage earners and whatever. It's impossible to 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 dream of this kind of uh, tax shelter. But if you don't sell for several decades or two and a half your uh, wealth, you have no taxation of very long-term capital gains, uh, so that uh, you have a tax zero on uh, super rich. Um, on the, on the very super pitch, uh, and it's a it's a weapon. Just to finish on uh, wealth uh, information, for the moment, what we have in many countries is so poor that uh, even uh, very light information on wealth accumulation is extremely inter- interesting to 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 understand uh, society. For instance, in the U.S., a panel study of income dynamics. The PSID provide relatively um, uh, non-sophisticated information on wealth. It's sufficient to uh, to see extreme gaps in wealth between um, educated and uh, relatively high uh, occupational groups with no wealth versus those with wealth. I mean, such in the same level of education. Bachelor uh, and more And in the same uh, income uh, quintile, knowing the quintile of wealth is uh, extremely important additional information. Uh,
0: maybe I can circulate some information through the chat regarding this. Yeah, totally. Just to uh, follow up. Um, I mean it's better, there's a question to you coming in from Elizabeth Schufosil about um, the, the newly introduced wealth tax in Russia. Will that make any difference, do you think in the Russian? Text.
6: Um, yeah, I wanted to say that we had um, a flat income tax rate in Russia, it was 13%, and just in 2000, uh, 2021, uh, we have this new tax um, for those whose annual earnings exceed 5 million rubles, and that is about $70,000, uh, if I calculated correctly, from 13 to 15%. So that is a change for Russia because we are going from the flat tax rate to a progressive tax rate. But I wouldn't say that this is a large progressive scale. So we have only one group of people who are affected by this progressive rate. And the rate is not very high, as you can see. So it's two percentage points. So I would say that it might give some difference for the budget, but I don't think that it will make a big change on the general configuration of inequality and on the general configuration on the top. That's my opinion, we'll see, but I think that... Yeah.
0: Well, Andre, you want to say about Brazil? Well, um, the Brazilian
4: government um, collect, collect data, information, uh, tax, taxation, and, and wealth, but this is not, not publicly available. Uh, one has to be authorized to use it, to get the data from the central bank and the uh, IRS-like. Agency in Brazil, and a few people have had access to that. One of them was Pedro Souza. It's in the in the last slide of my presentation, and he corrected the the Gini coefficient using this this information. And you can see there that the it's way above 0.6 when corrected by by this. And as Brazil has a regressive taxation system, tax system, so uh, this is very, very
0: necessary. We should be able to, to have access to that. Chun-Ling, do you want to say anything about China? Well, Is there a wealth tax in China, and how easy is it to collect data on wealth in China? Uh, uh,
3: yeah, it's very difficult. <laughs> Uh, because uh, uh, just in uh, the government, uh, there is a Bureau of Statistics, they have such a kind of um, uh, data, but uh, they don't provide for researchers. Uh, actually, I know uh, Piketty and his colleagues want to get, and uh, they, they visit uh, China, Beijing, Shanghai, and others uh, many times, again, but uh, they cannot get this data. So, yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So, yeah, actually, if, if you don't mind, if, if I can just ask a question, you, uh, use my chair's privilege. So, I mean, you've all be, you've all been talking about kind of, um, wealthization you know, how wealth assets have massively increased to a greater or lesser extent in your countries and how that's very disproportionately affected and benefited people at the top and led to more polarization. I mean, there is a uh, reflecting upon some of the criticisms which Thomas Piketty's arguments got, which is obviously consistent with you, this interpretation. One of the things which is often said about him is that he is generalising from a particular kind of boom in property prices, which has taken place in a particular, you know, two or three decades, but there's no reason to assume that this is necessarily going to be a long-term phenomenon. The housing bubble has been under underscored by, you know, um, quantitative easing and certain kinds of policies which may not continue. So how would you respond to the view that possibly... We're at the top of a wave, top of a kind of wealthization boom, but it's not sustainable. And we shouldn't necessarily assume these trends are going to be enduring ones. Any thoughts on that? Andre, you're looking as if you might want to say something. Uh,
4: I'm, I'm just moving over um, about it, because... Um, the price of properties, perhaps that's not the, the, the point in Brazil, but the privatization of public health and, and education, and this is is a heavy burden on, on on the poorest layers of the society. And yes, that, yes, that, that that's the state actually has a, a lot of uh, of roles that could uh fulfill this this wealth uh and allowing the population of the families to 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 save and and get wealthier yeah it's it's not just private market and and, and kelly
6: do you want to get in i just want to add something because a brazil is a- As a big country is very diverse so uh, of course the price of um you know housing is quite high in sao paulo and rio but can be very low in big cities in the northeast in the north so it's a complicated thing to deal with um if we think about the the global cities like sao paulo so yeah that that would be comparable with the situation in europe but the other cities maybe don't stand for the same pattern. So
2: okay.
6: I, I agree with Andrea, I think it's our, our good is uh, that's, you know, um, aim for uh, many families to have um, education and, and, and health. Thank you. It's a big di- division between the middle class, the upper middle class and the poor people.
0: Any other panelists want to reflect upon you know whether these trends towards wealthisation are going to be enduring ones or whether they're Louis? Do you want to get in there? Yeah, yeah.
5: Uh, indeed,
1: uh, thanks a lot. Indeed, uh, uh, twenty years ago, I thought uh, I thought uh, wealth uh, levels were uh, entirely crazy and could not reach. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, over the last twenty years, the uh, so housing prices in Paris uh, doubled. Even if they were already extremely uh, high, and uh, yeah, if you look to the very long term uh, asset values uh, um, before the First World War, for instance, we can expect uh, even a new doubling uh, in France and in the UK to to come back to the extreme inequalities um, to the extreme inequalities uh, of the past. Another element that is very important for wealth uh, inequalities is the dynamics we observe in the U.S. for the last uh, 15 years. If you want, in the U.S., the boom of the Gini indices of wealth distribution is also due to the fact that the median class, if you don't want to speak of middle class, the median class wealth uh, is more and more often negative when you consider the net wealth after uh, the effect of uh, debt. And uh, it's not only the top wealth that uh, increases, it's also the median wealth that is converging to something like uh, uh, zero minus uh, something. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, so there's another question in, in the uh, Q&A, about, also about policy, from Derek Love. Uh, What role do you see movements for wealth transparency um, playing in reducing wealth inequality in the near future? And obviously there's been these leaks such as the Panama Papers and Paradise Papers um, and there's campaigns for wealth transparency and for income transparency. How significant do you think those might be, any of you, in your countries? May I? Sure. Actually, I I answered that.
4: Uh, I see... Um, Brazil, uh, Brazilian government um, has uh, no it's not moving toward more transparency at all, and and um, the future is the next future future actually is it's bleak.
0: Right. <laughs> Does anyone else want to offer a more optimistic view, or is that? <laughs> I wouldn't that say that my
6: view is optimistic, but uh, I'd like to say that for Russia, I think, unfortunately, these um, movements do not play a big part. Uh, the only changes that can be made uh, can be made by the policy. And unfortunately, in our case, these movements from the population are not seen as important as forming the political agenda. So the question lies not in the actions from the population,
0: but actions from the government. Mm. Yes, okay. um, thank you. Good. Uh, Good. Anyone else want to speak a name? Yeah.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, I think, uh, uh, the uh, transparency of, uh, some information about uh, wealth. Like, uh, is, is there a, uh, uh, a, variable affected by the level of, uh, democracy? And so transparency of, uh, of wealth, wealth information, uh, is directly affected by the level of the democracy and uh, some kind of uh, uh, some citizens uh, engagement in monitoring and some um, the process of uh, tex- taxation and uh, uh some government uh, behavior uh, in collecting tax and some um that kind of a uh, uh, bureaucratic secret mm-hmm. uh, secret uh can be uh, monitored and controlled uh, eventually um, more uh, transparent uh gov- governance uh, can be made by the uh, citizens engagement so uh now uh newly uh, democratizing society like uh, South Korea, uh, we can see a, a lots of uh, improvements in uh, tax uh, administration and also uh, some kind of uh, raising tax um, is a, a quite important uh, issue uh, among uh, politicians and also among Different uh, interest groups. So, yes. uh, uh, tax system, uh, itself, uh, is a, a, outcome of a democratic a process. Thank
0: you. Chun Ling, do you want to speak about transparency in China?
3: Yes, yes. Uh, In recent uh, decade, the the government, Chinese government, do a lot of work to promote uh, transparency of wealth, especially to the political, uh, the government officials. And uh, also, uh, the the tax um, institutions uh, collected a lot of information, the, the rich people. So it, 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 I think it's uh, it's uh, it's work uh, to uh, um, they, the, the government doing a uh, good work for um, to control um, the wealth inequality, uh, but to just uh, uh, some extent, not very very uh, exact. Um, effective, uh, however, I, I think in the Chinese case maybe is not um, available for other uh, countries because the you know, Chinese government is very strong. <laughs> they uh, they can't do that uh, and uh, uh, do a successful to anti uh, uh, corru- anti corruption campaign. Yeah. So uh, indeed, we. Re- re- Reduce some uh, official income and wealth, say
0: something. Yeah. Thank you. And there's a question. Questions about again about policy. So several of you were talking about how the top one percent or the top very, the top fractions have done really well. They're the major gainers. I mean, how how feasible do you think it would be to actually target policies, partic- specifically at that very small group, whether it's in the form of a wealth tax or inheritance tax or some other mechanism? Because in a way. There's a danger, as as you were saying in the Russian case of Atlanta, there's a danger that an aggregate policy is going to miss this key grouping. Um, any thoughts on that? how how is it feasible to target this very small group who've done it particularly well? Yeah, Louis. Indeed, uh,
1: maybe you you will think I'm very pessimistic. Uh, indeed, since I have two. Took- computers I think so, so if you want to, to, to see my uh, my face maybe it's uh, necessary to, to, to switch to anyway uh, indeed I'm I don't want to, to sell the, the, the books of others but uh, Walter Scheidel great Leer is extremely interesting understand the long term dynamics of inequalities in the world uh, from the stone age to 21st century, it's very modest uh, uh, title, You, you subtitle, you, uh, you see. Anyway, the argument of the book is that uh, in the normal dynamics of the world, um, inequalities are increasing and accumulating. To have a reduction of inequality for Walter Scheidel, uh, you need uh, three, four principal events, uh, total war, uh, 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 violent uh, revolution with uh, millions of uh, casualties, collapse of the, of the state, or a massive et- epidemic uh, like uh, the the Black Plague or something like that, uh, um, COVID nineteen is certainly too 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 modest to to change uh, something in the direction of reduction of uh, inequality. So uh, it's not uh, targeting the top one uh, percent that can change uh, something. It's a big event such as a revolution or uh, any kind of, uh, and it happened uh, in the thirty years after the First World War. First World War was the first uh, total war, and in the next 30-40 years, you have had a massive reduction of uh, inequalities, due not only to epidemies, but also revolutions, wars and collapse of states. Okay, you will think that my uh, social policies are relatively unappropriate uh, for, uh, for peace and a uh, better future.
0: Do any of the panelists? This is probably the last question we've got time for. Do any of the panelists want to finish off with any any thoughts about
1: one percent?
4: Yeah, just would like to say that this one percent uh, are the, the dominant class in sociological terms, and they uh, have the judiciary, the and they are in the legislative, and it's just with uh, something like. What what Chavel said that this would they would um, bend to more open or to tax to change the tax system at least in Brazil that is really regressive. The, the, the poorer you are, the more you pay proportionally, and that's no way to. It, this is this is a rule actually.
0: There's okay. no way to, to change that. Is that. Zvetlana, do you want to add anything on Russia?
6: Well, for Russia, I would say that uh, it's not only an economic issue, but it's uh, in very close connection to the political structure of Russia. So we often say that Russia is a neurotocratic society where your position is determined not only by economic assets, but your connection with the, in uh, your position in the political structure. So this top 1% are not only well off in terms of business, in terms of wealth, but also in political power. So it really is another challenge in dealing with this group. Yes
5: uh
3: Chun-Ling, has you is to say anything you find about china uh yes i i think uh, um, as for the policy for um reducing inequality china have uh, a lot of um uh, they they know uh, the government know uh, a lot of lessons how to reducing the poverty but uh, no less to control the, the top rich the wealth commun- the, the, uh, the, uh, accumulation, you, you know, accumulation, that it's uh, a difficulty to uh, to do that. Uh, no lesson for other
2: country or something. Yeah.
0: Okay. And finally, Kwang Yong, do you want to mention anything about South Korea? Oh, uh,
2: yes. Uh, in South Korea, uh, there is a, a group, uh Chibon. It's the largest. Uh, in the past, is a national, uh, capitalist. Now it's a global capitalist, uh, uh like a, a Samsung and Escape. So, uh, just very uh, concentrated, uh, the ownership, uh, in the economy. And, uh, uh the democratic uh, process, uh, is a uh, one part of a strong uh, uh control over uh some um uh, economic uh, tycoons uh, behavior in politics and also uh, in the economy so a uh, very uh, developed uh, democracy good democracy might control and also regulate the behavior of uh, big uh, capitalists
0: okay Thank you we' reached the end nearly. I want to thank all the panelists it's been so I think we we've seen the value of a sociological perspective on wealth and there's lots of room for cross fertilization with the work of economists to finish, I do want to briefly return to the fact that all these papers are online on the Journal of Chinese sociology and to encourage you all to read it and i 'm going to pass on to may may try out to say a few words about the journal. Are you there may
5: um, Yes, thank you um. Hi everyone, um, I'd like to first uh, to thank all of you for participating in this special issue, and thank Mike and uh, Professor Lee Chuning for organizing it. Um, and um, it's a great honor to be able to launch it on the very pretty prestigious platform of the LSE Public Lecture Program. Um, I'd like to say um, a few very brief things about our journal. Uh, the Journal of Chinese Sociology is sponsored by the Institute of Sociology, the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences, and uh, published by uh, Springer Nature. We welcome, uh, we welcome high quality work from all areas of sociology and the sociologically informed contributions from anthropologists, economists, psychologists, and political scientists. We are a peer reviewed and open access journal. And over the past five years, the 100 plus journals have already had over 300,000 downloads. So it really helps helped us to uh, reach a much wider audience. And currently, we are fully sponsored. So basically, you publish open access, but for free. <laughs> you don't need to pay the APC fees. So please do check out our journal and uh, consider publishing with us. Thank you.
0: Thank you, May, And thanks to all of you. Thanks to all the panelists and... Uh, Hope you enjoyed it and hope to see you again soon at the LSE public events. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah.